Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you in part by Growmark FS. For over 95 years, we've led the game. Power, we restored it. Protection, we reinvented it. Record yields, we redefined it. If there's one thing we know at FS, it's that just because something hasn't been done doesn't mean it can't be done. We're never satisfied unless we take your farming operation to the next level. Run your equipment at peak efficiency and bust the bins this season. Visit fssystem.com. The views and opinions of this program are those of the host, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, how did the markets fare as we kicked off a holiday-shortened week on Monday? We're going to talk about that on the way here on Market Talk. Thanks for joining us today. Happy to be back in studio for the program today after spending a long week at the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention in Kansas City, Missouri last week. Jesse Allen here with you. Thanks for joining us today. A lot of amazing conversations that we had last week while we were in Kansas City, but it always feels good to uh, get home and, and be back in my own bed, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but still uh, great to um, spend some time in Kansas City. We're going to be sharing some of those conversations coming up here over the next few days on the program, but we have some other business to attend to as we kicked off the week on Monday. Coming up in just a minute, we're going to have a conversation with Tony Moeller's retail product agronomist for Bravant Seeds based in Northwest Iowa. Also coming up in segment two, we're going to hear from Eric Snodgrass with Nutrient Ag Solutions as we're going to get thoughts from Eric in terms of what's going on for weather here in the U.S. this holiday week, but also South American weather, what is going on in Brazil. Sounds like they could be seeing some more rain down there this week. We're going to get thoughts on that and a new December weather outlook from Eric Snodgrass coming up in just a little bit. Then in segment three, we're going to talk markets with John Heinberg from Total Farm Marketing. Looking forward to uh, running through things with him and getting his thoughts on market action as we work through a holiday-shortened week, full session Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, closed Thursday for Thanksgiving, and then a shortened session on Friday as we head into the weekend. So we'll get John's thoughts on the markets coming up here a little bit later on in the program as well. First up, though, want to have a conversation with Tony Moeller's retail product agronomist at Bravant Seeds. Based in Northwest Iowa, as we get a bit of a summary here of this harvest season and more. And Tony, it is great to have you back on the program with us here on Market Talk. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hope you're doing well. Jesse, it's always a pleasure. I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Well, let's talk about what's happening uh, here as we wrap up harvest season across much of the country. And as you look back at this harvest, Tony, what are one or two of the biggest takeaways for you from harvest this year? It's such a great question. And as I really reflect back on uh, the year that 2023 was and uh, and then how harvest has has transpired here and, and in a lot of northwest Iowa and in, in a lot of places across the country uh, from from the looks of it, uh, fantastic yields uh, in spite of some of the major challenges that that came our way this year. Uh, I, I'll speak for Northwest Iowa specifically. This year started off 
uh, and, and was plagued with issues and, and uh, challenges from day one, right? A lot of dry soil planting conditions, a really dry start to the year, uh, incredible heat uh, throughout the, the grain filling season and different and, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, yet this year really showed us uh, that that even even with such a, uh, a lack of moisture, timely rainfall still yielded a fantastic crop. Very true. And I think that points to the resiliency of all of our new hybrids and technologies. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that more in a second. As you think about the takeaways from this harvest season, though, Tony, how could farmers apply those takeaways as they start making their management decisions for next season and beyond? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think first and foremost is is sometimes in these challenging years, uh, it, it's really easy to throw the towel in and say this year is such an extreme or such an outlier. Uh, you know, let's regroup for next year and, and start this all over. But uh, sometimes in these challenging years, you can learn an awful lot about our soil types. You can learn an awful lot about our products and just how things react in some of these extreme environments. So number one, really dive into your, your data, your farm operation and, and how everything worked out this year. The, the other thing, the one thing I really hope folks take away is, is again, even with so many challenges thrown at us, I think we saw uh, don't give up on your crop in some of these challenging years uh, because we, with such a lack of rainfall, we produced a, a fantastic crop. Uh, and, and one thing I do get from some folks as, as I go uh, around the countryside is, you know, I, I wish I would have put that fungicide on this year. You know, back then it didn't seem like uh, the, the year was going our way. And, and uh, so I, I kind of dialed back on some of those inputs and and I think what we learned this year is is that the crop's pretty resilient. Keep feeding it because uh, because it, it responded really well. Well, Tony, as we wrap up harvest and if farmers want to uh, see how harvest went in their area beyond just the, the coffee shop conversation, so to speak, I know Bravant Seeds, you guys have a lot of great data, uh, trial data and much more available uh, online on your website, don't you? How could folks get that information? Yeah, absolutely, Jesse. I'll direct you to two places. First and foremost, stop into your local ag retailer. Uh, they have a wealth of, of data at their disposal from uh, from the year that they'd love to share with you. Uh, and you can find a lot of that data also uh, online at bravant.com. Uh, there's some links in there that'll take you to uh, to an abundance of fantastic data. Well, Tony, before we let you go here this week, any other notes, anything final you'd share or reiterate as uh, we wrap up the 2023 fall harvest? Well, as you start making your plans for, for 2024, again, be sure uh, stop into your local ag retailer and ask them about Bravant Seeds. Ask them about the new exciting soybeans that we have for E3 uh, and some of the new and exciting corn technologies that we're uh, preparing for the 2024 season. So there's a lot of fun and exciting things to be uh, ready for for 2024 with Bravant Seeds and your local ag retailer. Well, and a lot of those fun things, I know we're going to talk about those next week here on Market Talk. But again, as Tony said, contact your local ag retailer or go online, Bravant.com. With that, Tony Molers, Bravant Seeds, retail product agronomist in Northwest Iowa. Thanks for joining us this week. And Tony, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Jesse. And once again, Tony Molers there, retail product agronomist with Bravant Seeds, joining us here for a bit of a uh, late season recap. We'll talk more with Tony coming up here 
on a future episode of Market Talk as well. So looking forward to that. One news headline I want to share. Also, the ag industry has been one of the biggest supporters of the AM for Every Vehicle Act since its introduction. Radio Inc. says the industry's spending power of more than $576 billion spread across millions of workers. MRI Simmons, the leading study of American consumer attitudes and behaviors, explored the media choices of agricultural workers. Those workers are big audio consumers with more than half qualifying as heavy listeners. They listen to audio 60% more than the internet and 51% more than television. At the other end of the media spectrum, close to half of all ag workers fall into the light user category for internet and TV and outnumber the heavy users. Eight in ten ag workers uh, they favor AM, FM, and tune into radio ahead of streaming audio, podcasts, and satellite radio. The heavy audio usage is likely because of the fact that it's in everywhere media with easy access. So some more studies and more reminders of the importance of AM radio. Make sure you uh, get your voice heard. You can learn more details. Just go online to whyilisten.com and make sure you share your opinions and get your voice heard on the importance of AM radio. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk weather with Eric Stongrass from Nutrient. Back with more on Market Talk right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we are working through the holiday week, we have plenty to talk about on the weather front, getting some rain, maybe even some snow potential in parts of the plains here in the U.S. this week. And then, of course, talking South America and the latest in Brazil and Argentina. Joining us now to take a look at the weather, Eric Stongrass, Principal Atmospheric Scientist with Nutrient Ag Solutions. Eric, hope you had a great weekend and uh, getting ready for Turkey Day coming up here this week, Thanksgiving. Uh, but we have plenty to talk about on the weather front here. And uh, looking at the U.S. forecast, I know starting off the week, getting some rain in some of the driest areas of the country. But there's a, there's a lot to look at in the U.S. forecast here this week, Eric. Yeah, and there's a lot to evaluate with the U.S. forecast. And what I mean by that is if you went back to the end of October, we would have thought, based upon what I thought was decent evidence, that uh, the midsection of the country was going to see decent rains in the month of November. And it just didn't. Uh, the pattern just fell apart. We saw instead near record dryness. In fact, for the 1st of November to today, there are parts of Missouri and Illinois that are having their driest start to any November on record. So last time this area saw precip where I live was back on, um, you know, decent precip was on Halloween. So to see a system coming through that's going to increase the chances of rain right here, kind of in the Midwest, uh, is, is huge. We need the moisture desperately. It needs to get into the river systems. It needs to revive soil moisture because we are extremely low in this part of the country. So, yeah, it's active. Now, the other side of this is to the south. We've kind of flipped the winds around. We've got some instability building into the lower Mississippi Basin. And tonight we're going to watch for severe storms, maybe some of those being tornadic in the lower Mississippi River Valley. And that moves into the southeast tomorrow. But, uh, hey, maybe Iowa tonight, tomorrow, uh, we might see a little bit of the white stuff floating around. I mean, so mm -hmm. don't forget it is late November and we can get that kind of thing going on. But I'm just happy to see moisture returning to one of the driest spots in the whole country. So yeah, good. Let's bring the system on. And by the way, this is the one that last week 
lived off the coast of California for the entire week. And then over the weekend, I don't know if you saw this in the news, but produced this highly photogenic and often uh, videoed tornado that was in central Arizona. Very rare to mm. see something like that in central Arizona this time of year. So system's got a bit of a kick to it. Let's hope it can bring in some good moisture. You mentioned the S word. Should folks be concerned about any Thanksgiving travel plans? Uh, you know, if grandma's coming over to the farmhouse. Uh, do they, do we have to worry about any major snow events or anything like that this week? Yeah, if your farmhouse is in Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, yeah, that's where I want you to be on the lookout. <laughs> you know, there's okay. some cold air. Yeah, there's some cold air that's coming in uh, with this system, but nowhere near as cold as we had looked at a week ago. So it backed off a bit. Um, and uh, this next system that follows it, it's going to be putting down some snow on Thanksgiving and parts of Montana as well. But then it'll be the weekend. So the end of this week into this weekend that delivers some snow to Wyoming, Colorado, and then out into the plains of uh, Nebraska, maybe Western Kansas, definitely Colorado, and then getting into mm -hmm. uh, South Dakota. So they've got snow this weekend if you're traveling home. But on Thanksgiving, I'm primarily going to be watching deep, deep into New England for the heaviest snows. Okay. All right. Well, and I know too, with some of this moisture coming to some of the driest parts of the U.S., uh, it's going to help out the Mississippi River, I presume, as we move forward. I know uh, yeah, you mentioned to me before we jumped on here, uh, getting back to what, nine feet below low stage, I believe, something like that, Eric? Yeah, you know, we saw it bounce after the big late October system. It got all the way up to four feet below low stage, and then nothing came in to support it after that. The I mean, the pattern fell apart, and that was very poorly predicted by me and lots of us. We all missed it, if you ask me. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's dropped back off to nine feet, and, and, and the rain that's coming in now isn't the kind of rain that's going to just revive the river. It's going to first mm -hmm. be soaked up by the desperate needs of the soil, and then it'll eventually try to get itself into, we need about, I mean, I hate to say the number, but we need 10 of these. We need 10 systems mm -hmm. like the one we're getting right now to bring that river up to a decent level by the time we get into mid-November, or excuse me, mid-January from mid-November. And uh, that's also going to make for pretty unpleasant conditions sh should I get that forecast right. But Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right, well, let's turn our attention to South America, get an update on what's going on. Brazil, Argentina, it looks like uh, for folks uh, in central Brazil this week, some of that heavy rain from the south may be shifting northward. What's the latest you're seeing, Eric? Well, I, I do know someone that's going to be happy, and I know that you, you know, I'm sure you celebrate her entire catalog, but you heard Taylor Swift had to cancel a concert, right, down in uh, Rio mm -hmm. uh, due to the heat. Uh, you know, that's that's uh, incredible just to see how hot it did get. But there's a front that's moving north, and it's going to be bringing precipitation into some of the driest parts of Brazil. Uh, you know, you look back over the last month, there's a big section of Mato Grosso, Mato Grosso do Sul that are near record dry. And then you come into southern Brazil, it's record wet. I'm talking about like Parna, Santa Catarina, Rio Grande do Sul. So this front's going to clear through all of it. Um, something interesting to point out is there's been some decent rains coming into parts of Argentina. It's not enough to completely undo the longstanding drought, but it's brought some decent rain. And the Parna River, which kind of comes out of Parna, goes past the borders of Paraguay, Uruguay, into Argentina. It's uh, flooding right now. So uh, we haven't seen that river flood in a long time, but that's just due to how heavy the rain is. So how long does it last for central Brazil? Most of this week, they got better chances of rainfall. Uh, but did we really undo the longstanding issues? Maybe not quite yet. So we'll see if this area slips back into drought 
once we get past the next seven to 10 days and if that's going to continue to influence the the bean crop in a negative way i have heard jesse a lot of people that are have the burn uh, beans burn up and they're changing their mm. planting decision over to cotton but i don't have strong evidence of that that's just you know from from talk and chatter i've heard at various spots through the internet so something well, to think about and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that i i've also heard a little of the same but again i don't have uh massive overwhelming evidence of that either but uh, it just goes to show that you know you get uh, enough days in a row of 100 degree temperatures and that could do some damage to certain crops and uh something we're going to keep an eye on and two if we do get to cotton what's that going to do as far as any double cropping safrita corn etc that changes things up dramatically when it comes to that so uh, a lot to look at there in, in south america if some of those rotations get switched up eric yeah, and I don't think you do double crop on cotton. I think I don't it's, believe, no, you don't. it's the only don't crop believe. you put in there. So, um, yeah. yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what – and I don't – to be honest with you, Jesse, I haven't looked at cotton prices. I would have thought that even if you burned up your beans, it would have been smarter to go in and replant those given what mm -hmm. corn and cotton prices are. But I don't know. I mean, that's, that's up yeah. to the decision of those growers, and they know best. So We'll have to ask some agronomists and some growers on that one for sure. Let's uh, talk, though – uh, a new outlook from CPC uh, here for December. What is that showing us here as we get into uh, next month? So we expect the El Nino to reach a peak at some point in late December, early January. So in the next, let's call it 45 to 60 days, we're going to see what this El Nino can give us. And the new forecast from the CPC wants to flip the pattern away from what it is right now. So they want to drop some cooler air west again. And want to excite the central part of the United States with better storm systems rolling through, you know, it's a, it's an outlook that I love. I mean, it's exactly what I want to see to break some of these long-standing drought conditions. But I've been burned by this El Nino more than once, and so I think a lot of us are right now saying, "All right, I see the signal. I see what you're talking about. Prove it." You know, what I mean, let's let's really get the pattern to flip around. It's only calling for drier conditions in the northern plains. That's where they've got drier outlook overall, uh, and it's just barely drier. They've got a pretty active December coming up for a lot of us in the U.S. Okay, some things to keep an eye on. Australia, I know that's another area of the world we've been watching closely, some impacts on their wheat crop and more. Uh, what's going on down there right now, Eric? Yeah, so if you told me El Nino and Australia in the same sentence, I would say dry. Like, that's the outcome. It's usually very dry in Australia. If you looked right now, though, the whole eastern half of the continent, you know, Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, even down to Tasmania, all forecast to be very, very wet. And uh, that just tells you that something else is moving over the top of the El Nino. Currently, it's the MJO, but it's moving and therefore disrupting what we would typically call a normal El Nino progression into winter. So long story short, I don't think that anything's settled. I don't think you could make a call on winter yet, even though we all want to do that. I don't think you can. And so what I would be advising folks that are listening right now, you know that we've got an overall mild forecast for winter for North America from all the major forecasting centers and same thing for Europe. I would tell you that it is more likely that we're going to see some pretty massive disruptions to that through winter than it would be just to say it's going to be mild the entire time. So uh, don't get settled. I think we're in for a bit of a wild ride for the next uh, 90 plus days. And uh, we're probably, what, only 100, 120 days away from planting our next crop here in the United States. So there's no rest for the weary, right? 
There is no rest for the weary. Folks can stay up to date with the latest weather information online, ag-wx.com. And there you can sign up for Eric Snodgrass's weekly weather newsletter as well. Eric Snodgrass with Nutrient Ag Solutions. Thanks for joining us. Have a happy Thanksgiving, Eric. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah, you do the same. We'll be back with more Market Talk on the way right after this. When it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy Specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, outside of the soy complex on Monday, really felt like the rest of the grains and the livestock trade was pretty quiet. One has to wonder if uh, a lot of traders have already decided to pack it in for the Thanksgiving holiday here this week. We're going to talk about that. Joining us now for market analysis, John Heimberg with Total Farm Marketing is on with us today. John, uh, thanks for the time. Great to have you on the show again today. And I know with the Thanksgiving coming up on Thursday. This is always kind of a, a weird week in the trade to me anyway. It feels like the last 10 years of doing this, and I, I know you've done this longer than I have uh, by a few years, um, just feels like one of those odd weeks where the low volume can can lead to some volatility. Things can be a, a little squirrely here this week, can't they, John? Yeah, they can. When you get thinner trade, things can move around pretty quickly just because there's not enough players in the marketplace to, you know, take orders on and things of that nature. So, you know, this week really kind of as the week goes on today and tomorrow will feel fairly normal. But when, you know, a lot of traders will step out Wednesday, not even be around on Friday with the short day. You know, we don't have night trade, obviously, Thursday night after the Thanksgiving holiday. So it's just it can really turn into a bit, kind of a crazy time frame. And, you know, basically people are going to be preparing for a four or five day weekend, you know, before we come back next Monday, given the just the lack of trade in this time frame. This soy complex, I mentioned a little bit of strength there, volatility. Sounded like some of the rains over this past weekend in Brazil, in central Brazil, maybe weren't as much as was expected. I know there's more in the forecast, though, for this week. So, it's kind of that give and take of a, a weather market still here. It looks like the soy complex, isn't it, John? You know, very much so. And, you know, and with that, too, still keeps a little bit of a demand window open for us here in the in the near term. And again, that's some of the reason we're seeing that strength. Plus, just the competition on the crush side of the equation for those domestic bushels, too. You know, even though carryover did go up in the last report, it is still fairly tight on a historical level here. You know, we're watching the rains and some rains did come through. You obviously saw pictures on social media of that, those rains out there. But when you go look at the radar, they were very, very isolated in terms of their coverage. Didn't move a whole lot pretty much if you're a have or a have not in terms of that rainfall total forecast maps continue to stay dry beyond this point 
you know, so we are going to see some damage and we kind of expect that. We don't know how much right now, but the market's still pricing that in at this time frame. You know, watching the move today, if we can get back through uh, the high from Friday last week, I believe that's around 61, 62, you know, complete this reversal off the lows. You know, that'll be a big piece of this, too. Also watching what soybean meal's doing. It's reversing off its lows fairly aggressively. Good, strong day in a crude oil market. That's also what helping support that bean oil side of it today. So, you know, the combination of those things here is just giving beans some added strength after a pretty quick sell-off last week. Now we can find some footing and possibly, you know, carry this length into the end of the week. And I wonder, too, uh, what if that could lead to some more farmers selling potentially in the soy complex if uh, this market decides and wants to run a little higher into Thanksgiving. And on the flip side, corn, do you worry with low volume trade potential here that we could move this corn market a, a little bit lower ahead of December options expiration, John? You know, that'll be the biggest thing on Friday is those options and the expiration of those December options. You know, the biggest thing, you know, even talked to a couple of people again this morning, I got those bushels. What do I do with them? And I think we're just seeing some people move corn onto the market here regardless and just not take the risk of storage on. You know, again, also we got first notice day right away next week, too, for anybody that's long on a December contract. They need to be out by the 30th of November. So you throw in the volatility of, a, you know, one of the largest option months of the year is the December options for corn. And then quick first notice day on a very heavily traded contract. That's going to bring us a lot of volatility here. Now we're down, from, you know, a penny or so today, 465. You know, remember September low was around 462. So here's another one of those situations where bleeding that carry out of the market. I just don't have anything right now that makes me feel warm and fuzzy at all about the corn market here. The demand still a concern, even though we did have a small sale of corn this morning. You know, we are seeing those kind of routine sales come in. We're not seeing anything big. South American weather story, maybe more of a late, you know, early summer type story as we get an idea of what's going on with that second crop corn out of Brazil. They're exportable corn. You know, so that might be more of a delayed type sec, uh, news front, news item going into the second half of the year. So right now it's all about beans in South America. That's where the support comes from. It looks like wheat and corn are kind of tied at the hip and gravity is just weighing on the cereal grains. I was going to say that wheat market just continues to kind of churn around here. Not, it doesn't really have any story to it that seems too friendly to me. And so I feel like that's going to be more so of a boat anchor on this corn market than soybeans could try and pull corn up here this week, John. You know, correct. And, yeah, I think that's just, you know, one of those things. You're talking competing grains that just have similar uses to some point. Now, the October low for wheat was 540, somewhere in that bottom range. We're 543 on that December contract right now. So we're down testing that October low. That's going to need to hold. And that just really opens up the sell, the, the floodgates here, maybe to the downside. Obviously, I think that pulls corn with it. Talk to me about the cattle market here. Kind of mixed on Monday following a cattle on feed report uh, that I'd say was neutral to maybe even slightly friendly. I know that placements number was a bit lower than some folks had feared it would be. And uh, just looking at cattle on feed overall, up 2%, though, but still a lot of folks saying it's a, a fairly neutral report. Is that kind of how you took it from Friday afternoon? 
I do very much so, especially with the price action we've seen over the last couple of weeks. I think a lot of the negativeness was put into this. Now, this does set the market up for some bear spreading. We're seeing that today. Just a little bit more pressure in the front end because of those heavier supply numbers. But then the anticipation is still well out into 24 that the cattle supply is still going to tighten up. We're not seeing the expansion that we're expecting. Now, that will probably won't get confirmed until we get to the cattle inventory report in January. But that's just going to still stay favorable to this marketplace. And you're seeing that today. You know, we're stronger in the late 24 contracts, August, October, December, actually even into 25 a little bit. But we're seeing that front end weakness. Obviously, that's tied to the cash market, the retail values, and just the fact that we just got a few more cattle here than we thought we'd had. And uh, that's just keeping a little bit of a push. That's what we mean by bear spread market. We're selling the front ends and buying the back end to balance it out. With cattle and hogs, thinking about that beef and pork demand here now, we have Thanksgiving obviously this week, but then we got Christmas right around the corner, New Year's heading into the end of the year. Uh, how much are you watching some of uh, that retail demand to see if that can help out at all in these uh, protein markets or provide any fodder here for the uh, proteins as we move to the end of the year, John? You know, that'll be a very key piece in general is watching what happens with the beef rib trade. Now, we're already to Thanksgiving. Probably a lot of that is already taken care of in that regard. So, you know, typically we see, you know, carcass values start to slide in this area. Probably will continue that way into the very first part of the year. The, the aggressiveness of the slide will be the key. You know, how's that way in the cash market? We saw cash softer again last week, you know, just because of the weakness in futures. I still think we got a fairly rough stretch here. When I say rough, just not maybe falling apart, but not really rallying in the cattle market, probably into the first quarter. And then we start seeing the grilling demand kick back in again for the spring and summer. And I think that's when we start seeing that push into the second half of the year. But for right now, you know, some of that opportunity that we thought was here has probably gone to the wayside just because of these larger cattle and feed numbers, these number of animals that we brought in and brought into the feedlots, mostly through imports in terms of bringing those feeder cattle in from Canada or Mexico. Mm -hmm. uh, so, again, still think it might be a little bit choppy, negative in terms of overall movement going into the first of the year. And then from there, we'll see what happens in terms of some of those longer term cattle numbers. John, let's wrap it up with some overall risk management thoughts as we uh, alluded to. Uh, it's a lot of the same things going on in this trade right now, but obviously with a holiday week, it can be a little bit different. So what's on your mind? What do you want to tell producers or reiterate to them as far as just looking at their marketing plan here uh, during this week as, as we get through the Thanksgiving holiday, John? You know, just having conversations with some guys and just in general, you know, everybody's expecting prices to maybe find some footing and start climbing. And I'm still just a little bit on the defiant of that side just saying, you know, what's the reason, you know, here other than global supply or global inflation, just need the money flow, cost of production. You know, the market doesn't care about those things. I know it's kind of rude to say, but at the same time, it's the reality of it. You know, we're looking at the supply picture. We're looking at a demand picture that's still not very strong. And I hope I'm wrong in my predictions when I say prices look like they got still room to go to the downside here. So whatever you're thinking about, you, where's your risk? And that's where you need to put your your, your kind of your marketing plan to. You know, I'd rather today I'm buying $5 puts for July corn. I just want to make sure we keep that floor underneath this market. I would rather have that floor go worthless and leave my bushels open to the upside than figure out what's going on down the road in terms of, you know, uh, prices maybe being down another 30, 40 cents. 
I'm also mm-hmm. talking with a lot of guys who got good basis opportunities for the spring. But if you you lock your basis in, lock in the floor uh, with those put strategies. Reason why, at least that guarantees you a paper cash floor per se. Um, I've had it before where guys have, you know, were very excited about a basis they lock in and then the market loses 50 cents. So, you know, those are things just to take a look at where the risk is, depending if it's grain, depending if it's livestock or even the milk market, which we didn't touch on, which looks a little shaky again to me today. You know, where does the risk have? Make sure you protect the downside here going well into 24. John, if folks want to have a conversation with you about some of those things there at Total Farm Marketing, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Sure. Give me a call. 800-334-9779. Shoot me an email at johnh at totalfarmmarketing.com and the website of ours, totalfarmmarketing.com. You know, just to reach out and have a conversation doesn't obligate you to anything. Just love to go through, talk about some different things, ask those questions. You know, in these types of markets, make sure you have all the tools available to you in your marketing toolbox. John Heinberg with Total Farm Marketing. Thanks for the time. Happy Thanksgiving, John. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Have a great holiday. Talk to you next week. All right. We'll be back to wrap up Market Talk of the Way right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Market Talk with Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks for sticking with us here today. Appreciate John Heinberg from Total Farm Marketing for sharing some thoughts in this market trade as we near the uh, Thanksgiving holiday and a holiday-shortened week. Uh, could lead to some extra volatility. Also appreciate Eric Snodgrass joining us with weather and a conversation with Tony Molers from Bravant Seeds earlier in the program as well as we wrap up harvest season. Well, let's take a look at some news headlines here today before we run out of time. A key Senate Democrat issued a stern warning to House Republicans to work to avoid two new shutdown threats early next year in the just-enacted stopgap funding and farm bill extension. Senate Appropriations Chair Patty Murray reluctantly voted for the unprecedented House GOP stopgap with new shutdown deadlines of January 19th and February 2nd for different agencies. But she warned. If we don't want to be right back here in a few weeks facing a one-two punch shutdown threat, we need all of us to get serious about one-year full spending bills. That's a tall order given the House GOP's internal spending fights and demands that Senate Democrats agree to deeper cuts than President Biden announced that Speaker Kevin McCarthy settled on in the spring. But Murray isn't budging. So I have an important message for Speaker Johnson and the House Republicans. We can only get these spending bills done if we are all on the same page when it comes to the top line numbers. Numbers that House GOP hardliners want to cut further and did in the USDA annual spending bill and three others before torpedoing them over internal disagreements and opposition from Democrats. The Farm Bill, meantime, will have to compete for floor time and a packed calendar of election year primaries next year. Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. It would be my goal to push to get it done. And I would hope every member of the Senate and House Ag Committee would get it done because if it doesn't get done early in the year, it's not going to be done. 
another extension has to occur if we don't get it done early next year. The just enacted extension continues authorizations for most farm programs, though the National Cattlemen's Beef Association says livestock mandatory reporting again runs out on January 19th, which is the next shutdown deadline. While talking biosecurity during the NAFB convention last week, it's an important topic for the U.S. pork industry. Dr. Megan Niederwerder, Associate Director of the Swine Health Information Center, says African swine fever is top of mind, but the concerns don't stop there. When we think about biosecurity practices that we can develop or that we can learn from, really biosecurity applies across foreign animal diseases as well as endemic swine diseases. So when we think about the most costly swine diseases of U.S. pork producers, we we have to talk about PERS, but then when we think about the 800-pound gorilla in the room and the prevention efforts of African swine fever, we really need biosecurity protocols, technologies that are cost-effective, provide that value back to producers, and it help both the endemic disease side as well as the foreign animal disease side. Nita Werder says pork producers can learn a lot from poultry producers battling against avian influenza. We certainly have risks to our pork producers and our pigs with regards to feral swine and the diseases that they can carry. So thinking about the biosecurity on your farm and also backyard farms, thinking about how do we reduce the risk of exposure to wildlife. We can also learn from avian influenza, thinking about things like depopulation and disposal, thinking about how do we prepare for those types of events should a foreign animal disease enter. Thinking about all of those things and, of course, the lessons learned just uh, helps us advance our knowledge and help pork producers based on what's happened in the avian influenza space. It's just more lessons to be learned. It's especially vital to have a biosecurity plan in place if a neighboring farm has a disease outbreak. We have to think about not only biosecurity or bio-exclusion, that's the prevention of disease entry into our farm, but we have to think about biocontainment as well, which means if we get an outbreak, how do we protect our neighbors? How do we prevent the pathogen from spreading from our site to the surrounding sites? And that may be owned by the same producers, it may be owned by other producers, but certainly in the cases of disease, the more that we can contain the pathogen to a single site or a single system, the better off we are as a whole production industry because we've protected the spread and we've minimized the impact. Once again, that's Dr. Megan Niederwerder with the Swine Health Information Center. Well, farmland prices continued rising throughout 2023. Randy Dickhoot, farmland sales specialist with Agricultural Economic Insights, says rising prices were a little surprising given the economic conditions. With the issues of higher input costs, higher interest rates, challenges to farm income outlook for the year as we started it, you know, it slowed the market down and everybody thought it would stabilize the best, maybe soften some. And really what we saw was that happened, but it stayed more stable. Stable. Even the bidding as we went through the year, summer and here in the fall, the bidding on farmland has been very strong. You know, there aren't as many bidders, but they're still bidding for those fewer farms that are coming up for sale. While the overall number of buyers may have shrunk this year, he says they're still motivated when farms come up for sale. 
with the interest rates, everybody's thinking, you know, they're, they're will affect it, but they haven't yet. So I think the year so far really surprised people that it was as good and strong. There weren't really that many records, although there were a few that won in North Dakota. But you know, all you need is two people wanting that farm, and it'll go for more than you would ever thought. He says many buyers had cash to spend that was built up over the last several years. Yes, I think, you know, that's part of it. There are several good years. Those that do well saved up that cash, and if they have, they're going to buy equipment or a farm with that cash. For a farmer owning that farm that comes up for sale next to them once every three or four generations is really a key, especially if you've got a generation that's going to continue farming. And once again, that is comments with Randy Dickhoot from Agricultural Economic Insights. You can learn more by going online to AEI.ag. Again, that is AEI.ag. Randy works with uh, David Widmar and the team there at Agricultural Economic Insights. Well, we are out of time here on Market Talk today. Thank you for joining us. Coming up tomorrow on the program we will have a market conversation with Tyler Shaw from agmarket.net. That and more coming up on tomorrow's Market Talk. We're out of time, though, today. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a fantastic rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. When it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com.